Chapter 2 Brave New Worlds The Axial Age and Beyond An Enterprising Axis Around the 8th to 3rd centuries BC, there was a very profound shift in thinking about the meaning of life. This shift was not something that happened in one place and then spread to other areas. Rather, it was a shift that was happening almost simultaneously around the world. These new ways of thinking appeared in Persia, India, the Sinosphere or East Asian Cultural Collective of China, Korea, Taiwan, Japan, Vietnam, Mongolia, Singapore and Malaysia, as well as the Greco-Roman world. This was a time in human history where new perceptions about religion and philosophy were blooming in parallel. This sweep of time was called the Axial Age by the German philosopher Karl Jaspers. It was a time when new thoughts arose and when specific key thinkers emerged, thinkers whose names have echoed down the corridors of time. These thinkers' ideas have shaped the countenances of many cultures and religions, and their effects still impact global societies to one degree or another to this day. Quote, just as primitive man believed himself to stand face to face with demons and believed that could he but know their names, he would become their master, so is contemporary man faced by this incomprehensible, which disorders his calculations, if I can but grasp it, if I can but cognize it, so he thinks I can make it my servant. End quote. Col Jaspers, Man in the Modern Age. In Greece there was Homer and the Tragedians, such as Archimedes, Sophocles and Thucydides, along with the philosophers Plato, Heraclitus and Permenides. In Palestine the prophets made their appearance, Elijah, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Confucius and Lao Tse appeared in China, while India produced the Upanishads and Buddha. In addition, in Iran, Zarathustra drove a worldview that life is the constant struggle between good and evil. Thanks to all of these thinkers, we receive the nascent ideas around materialism, skepticism, nihilism and metaphysics that still continue to evolve as fields of thought. The Axial Age has been described as a liminal period, a threshold where the old notions of what held the world together had lost their validity, but the newer notions were not yet fully formed. Jaspers described it as an interregnum between the great empire and liberty. It was for him a deep breath bringing a most lucid consciousness. This was a period of time wherein there was a global emergence of a class of thinkers and religious leaders who became their own elite. This was a new breed of thinker, one that used the tools of thinking to bring us a conception of mastering the mind as a key to mastering life, rather than just mastering tools with the use of the mind. The philosopher Eric Vogelin referred to the age as the great leap of being. Quote, for the answers make sense only in relation to the questions which they answer. The questions, furthermore, make sense only in relation to the concrete experiences of reality from which they have arisen. And the concrete experiences, together with their linguistic articulation, finally make sense only in the cultural context which sets limits to both the direction and range of intelligible differentiation. Only the complex of experience, question, answer as a whole 
is a constant of consciousness. No answer thus is the ultimate truth in whose possession mankind could live happily forever after, because no answer can abolish the historical process of consciousness from which it has emerged. End quote. Eric Vogelin. The shared essence of the teachings of these axial individuals was that life is somehow a journey from darkness into light, from illusion to reality, from ignorance to awakening. This thinking is what is called the axial mode. Think about it a little. How many axial modes can you identify off the top of your head? Modern institutions still utilize this form of framing, particularly when they are trying to get us to invest in someone else's cause. Invest your time, talent, health in this job so that you can move forward in life and stay out of the gutter. Invest in this policy so that you do not end up dot 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 fill in the blanks. Believe in this or that so that you may be freed from your ignorance and saved from dot 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 and experience everlasting dot 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 fill in the blanks. Note that I am not arguing against any of these in particular. I am merely attempting to demonstrate how axial phenomenology percolates into our daily lives as direct experiences. The essence of these notions is that the belief system, whatever it may be, paints the overarching metaphor for life as some kind of a journey. This could be a journey from lack to abundance, or some kind of moving from lesser to greater, from illusion to reality darkness to light, ignorance to insight. Through this have-not-to-have status, they ultimately argued that somehow the meaning of life is to gain something, and that this gaining would loosen the fetters of suffering and bring us liberation. Freedom from what is simpler to answer. It is liberation from the current disadvantageous state. The vexing question is always freedom toward what? We can see that answering that question or attempting to convince others that our answer to that question is correct can be the breeding ground for much discontent. Quote, the course of history as a whole is no object of experience. History has no ADOS because the course of history extends into the unknown future. End quote. Eric Fuchelin. The Current of Currency what intrigues me about this gainful or acquisitive phenomena in the axial mode is that there is, according to the anthropologist David Graeber, a correspondence between the core of the axial period and the invention of coinage. The great sages all emerged in countries where coins and ultimately the market economy that we still use to this day were invented, with coins ushering in a new paradigm of what has value. We can see that a new way of philosophizing could be born. Philosophy was no longer just a means through which to gain knowledge. It also became a means through which to gain access to currency. Out of this second mode, philosophy also became invested in communicating how one was to live one's life in pursuit of gain. Quote, if history shows anything, it is that there is no better way to justify relations founded on violence to make such relations seem moral than by reframing them in the language of debt. Above all, because it immediately makes it seem that it's the victim who's doing something wrong. End quote. David Graeber, D. 
debt the first 5,000 years. This market mindset may have driven many of the reasons some of these religions and philosophies have appeared to be perennial, as the old schools of thought espoused methodologies that allowed one to build up currencies that could be exchanged for the ultimate purchase. In some religious contexts, one's thoughts and actions were used to purchase the ideal conditions for the soul. Through the currency of our efforts, we could purchase our station in life, the most prized currency being that of the mind or soul, whereas hard labor and toil were surely a curse upon the indebted, who would slave to be liberated to this newfound wealth. Quote, a great embarrassing fact haunts all attempts to represent the market as the highest form of human freedom, that historically impersonal commercial markets originate in theft. End quote. David Graeber, Debt, The First 5,000 Years At the heart of the axial model lies the notion that we are in the world, yet not of the world, that somehow we were, in a way, watered-down manifestations of some greater metaphysical reality. There was an emergence of thought around the concepts of imminence and transcendence. In essence, it is thinking and believing in things in relation to a divine presence. Moreover, whether that presence is manifested in the universe or encompasses it, or both. Another simpler way to view this proclivity toward a view of the mundane projected into the metaphysical is to remember that the last time you reached for a piece of tissue paper, you reached for it because the use of it was imminent and insular. Now, if I tell you to only think about tissue paper, your mind will think of it in a larger context, one that encompasses all of its potential. In that instance, one tends to view it with a more comprehensive, transcendent reference frame. It can be seen then that, by extension, coinage suddenly also came to represent transcendent potential out of eminent symbols of worth. Within coins lay the seeds of what was beyond them. I do not imagine this thinking process began with coinage, as humanity was bartering long before that, but the new fluidity that money brought would plausibly have sent the process into higher gear. Quote, if one gives sufficient social power to a class of people holding even the most outlandish ideas, they will consciously, or not, eventually contrive to produce a world organized in such a way that living in it will, in a thousand subtle ways, reinforce the impression that those ideas are self-evidently true. End quote. David Graeber, The Utopia of Rules on technology, stupidity, and the secret joys of bureaucracy. It's a dead giveaway. As we investigate the meaning of life from different perspectives, we will focus the lens on what was considered the big questions that was being answered in a particular period of time or a particular cultural context. In the ancient world, the focus was on the fact that we die. What did dying mean for us as humans? Was there any significance in this fact, and if so, was the significance to be found in the realm of the living, or in some space after? If it was significant after death, did this have any bearing on how we should live our lives? 
we can see that many of the great religious texts dedicate much space to establishing themselves as the user manuals for reaching a better hereafter. Stemming from this, there was, as we know, and specifically during the Protestant Reformation in particular, great anguish around the question of guilt. Much of this guilt was derived from the fact that people were not able to live up to the expectations and rules they were required to follow in order to have a happier afterlife. There's also another sense of guilt around whether what they were doing was the right thing and why, even if they thought it was the right thing, they tended not to get it right a lot of the time. Net worth in a network. In contemporary time, we begin to question the whole notion of meaning and we look at ways of redefining what is meaningful. In an era of information overload, our big question becomes, is this relevant to me? Further still, is this relevant at all? For some people, answering the first question answers the second one too. Yet, we live in a world where what is relevant is not an absolute. What may seem only mildly significant to me is fundamental to someone else. With considerably more personal affront, sometimes what is fundamental to me is completely insignificant to others. Although we have a great many people in the world today still concerned with what's right and wrong, for the most part people seem to be concerned more with what matters. As information becomes more readily available, the sense of its worth derived from its rarity diminishes. Whilst, due to our technological advancement, this same information is deemed valuable from the viewpoint of its utility. It is as though the very superabundance of data has become its own barrier and that the intelligent among us now are those who know which parts of this knowledge can be operationalized for the most effect. I choose the word effect because to say for the most good would not be an accurate barometer of what people deem as the most relevant. We can see the meaning gap between generations quite starkly these days. We also see meaning derived from orientation, where someone with a more hedonic utilitarian bent might say, being immersed in deep information is musty and stuffy in a world where being plugged into the coolest self-esteem boosting, instantly gratifying and self-promoting mediums matters more. Meaning for many has shifted from asking, what is my place in the universe, to what has a place in my universe? This is a universe where killer apps have become the starry clusters in our online firmament, all driven to keep their anesthetized individuals smack bang in the center of their own constellation of self-gratifying solipsism. The fact is that we now turn to technology to solve most of our problems. As our technology advances faster and faster, on some levels even something as stable as Moore's Law which described the driving force of social and technological change, economic growth and productivity, with its capacity of doubling every two years, is by Gordon E. Moore's reckoning going to reach saturation. In 2015, he stated, I see Moore's law dying here in the next decade or so. If this is so, we face some interesting new questions about the meaning of it all in the face of the new technologically plateaued paradigm. We will cross that bridge if we get to it. 
Our time in history is marked by a great amount of uncertainty. Many of the structures that we have today are at the whim of more than just weather conditions, bandits or invading armies. We have mercantile institutions, political bodies, religious groups and economic situations from different places around the world that can in an instant reach in and affect our lives. Is it not possible that we may become swamped by concern when almost every situational pebble sends ripples through our ever more densely connected network? What we include into our world will have an effect on how we engage with all of our reality. We have come to question the nature of many things much, much more. We take less at face value. The first prize for many would be to just get the big picture of it all, some kind of all-encompassing view that makes sense of the events that are occurring, along with clarity on our space and place in it. The Valence of Values Is this what we are missing? A grand unifying overview? Would that comfort us? What does it mean to live in a world that does not seem to reflect the fact that there is one unifying way to approach things? In the Axial Age, we were handed the overview that life was some kind of a journey. In the Age of Enlightenment, it was preferred that reason could replace religion and tradition, that reason was the crucible upon which all fallacies and falsehoods would be reforged into the apparatus that allowed man, and particularly his mind, to truly become the measure of all things. Yet, reason has not given us this overarching schema. It's certainly given us an ever-widening aperture to look through, but no ultimately definitive answer. Reason takes us to the boundary of only knowing what we know. We still do not know what we do not know. It is therefore impossible to continue a discussion on meaning if we do not discuss values. Can it be said that what each one of us values will have an immediate impact on what meaning we insert into circumstances? Or do our meanings create our sense of values? To be sure, it's not an easy question to answer. We will need to investigate for ourselves the difference between the price of a thing and its value. Do we treasure all that we buy based on its price? What's the difference between the cost of a thing and its worth? Is what I sacrificed or lost for this equivalent to what I have gained? How do we measure value in our choices? Quote, when you don't know what you are living for, you don't care how you live from one day to the next. You're happy the day has passed and that night has come, and in your sleep you bury the tedious questions of what you lived for that day and what you're going to live for tomorrow. End quote. Ivan Goncharov, Oblomov. In the following chapter, we will begin our journey to answering the questions of meaning, value, worth, well-being, and the impact of choices.